The NBA is back. Welcome to the Haber Show. It is so good to say that. The NBA is back. Like, it's here. Scrimmages are done. The bubble is working. Players are chugging beers. This week's guest is Blazers president of basketball operations, Neil O'Shea, who is in the bubble. He's going to talk all about what it's like over there. Um, The Blazers have so many new parts reintegrating into the system. We're going to talk about Damian Lillard. We're going to talk about uh, scrimmage MVP, the Bosnian beast, Yusuf Nurkic. Talk a little skinny mellow. Talk Myers Leonard's shotgun skills, the best golfers in the bubble, the Blazers' chances for that eight seed in a whole lot more. So great stuff with Neil. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the conversation. My bubble talk with Neil Olshay. Neil, good morning. It is the end of the scrimmages. Three scrimmages down for Portland. The season is restarting. I had to take a moment today, Neil, just to kind of wrap my head around of where we are in the NBA schedule. The, the season is upon us. Uh, zero positive tests recently. Uh, it seems like things are off to a great start. Um, have you had a chance to breathe uh, and just realize what's upon us here? Yeah, you know, I think it was such a new environment for all of us, right? And I, I think what was interesting, you know, we came down concerned about things we should have been concerned with, right? Leaving our families, you know, the safety of the campus environment, you know, the mental health of everybody down here, factoring in, you know, kind of the climate that we're in right now in terms of social justice, you know, things going on in our own communities. And I think we got down here and, you know, what the league has pulled off is really, I mean, not only unprecedented, it's pretty amazing. The fact that we are 24 hours away from resuming a season that, you know, I don't know that anybody expected this to, to actually ever come to fruition. I thought, it, I thought it would be a valiant effort, but the challenges that the league was facing, health, safety, social climate, geography, um, you know, the partnership with the Players Association has been great, but the fact that we're 24 hours away from restarting with two great games and being able to compete at a time in the season when everybody really places the highest value on games and outcome is, is pretty remarkable. And did you feel safe from the get-go when you're flying from Portland to Orlando? What kind of butterflies were you feeling going into this situation? You know, I didn't, um, honestly, to be honest. And I, and I don't think a lot of people did. I think, you know, Adam's approach to this whole thing was that this bubble would be more, would be safer than any, any situation we would be in in our own civic communities. And I think the longer we were here and the more negative test results that we continued to get from players and staff, um, as well as identifying players that entered with a positive test, right, and remained in quarantine, that they were taking the safety procedures very seriously, that within the confines of the bubble, the Disney employees were living up to our expectations of, of their role in this. And the fact that, you know, I think we've all taken an individual responsibility to understand that we're only as safe as our least compliant yeah. fellow bubble member. And, and I think there's been a real commitment to understanding, you know, it's not just about your own safety. It's about how your approach to a PPE, right? Wearing masks, hand sanitizing, keeping social distance 
can, te- can keep our fellow members of our league safe. And I think everyone has really embraced that. And I think that's why we're here right now. I mean, in your role as, as you know, running basketball ops, it seems like a lot of this falls on you, Neil, is trying to get everyone on the same page and establishing a culture in which everyone has to be compliant. And this, as you said, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And you have such a, a variety on your roster of young guys who are trying to make a name for themselves in this league who, while mature, are certainly not have been through the same battles in this league or experiences that, say, Carmelo Anthony or Damian Lillard have. And so how did you get them ready for, for this um, and understanding what kind of discipline it would take to pull this off? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think everybody comes at it from a different perspective based on, you know, their length of time in their league and their experience. You know, one regard, we've been, we were very lucky. Uh, we had great leadership from our H&P and medical department with Jeff Clark and Jeff Ellis, uh, Jess Ellis. But we were very lucky, Tom, in that we were the first, along with Cleveland, facility to reopen. Mm. So we had reopened May 8th, and we had 11 to 12 guys in market almost the entire time. Um, it's something we're very proud of that guys stayed in market. They returned to market. So they were in a really good routine in terms of coming to the building every day, getting their work in, you know, maintaining very good health practices at home, maintaining social distance, doing what they needed to do basketball wise, but protecting their health and the health of their families. So we had a really good baseline before the facilities officially reopened in terms of mandatory voluntary work, mandatory workouts as opposed to voluntary. And I think those practices led us to making a really seamless transition down here. I think, you know, the irony is, you know, we do have guys like Mello that have multiple, you know, Team USA experiences where they've basically been in unforced quarantines to a certain degree based on where they were playing. Um, You know, he has great stories about, you know, times in Greece and Turkey and, you know, those were more safety protocols. And then you have guys, you know, our young guys, as much as guys – Think about the irresponsibility of young players. The interesting thing is they have more contextual point of reference because they're just coming out of AAU, right, and college. Mm. And they're much more used to, you know, bed checks and team meal times and team meeting times and, you know, being in a hotel where you basically kind of stay in the hotel and leave to go to the gym and, you know, play three or four games a day and come home. So, you know, I I think it was very interesting – the younger guys almost had a more seamless transition because they weren't leaving wives and children and family obligations as much as some of the older players and staff members were. And I think they just looked at it like this was, you know, no different than being in Vegas in the summer for 10 days. And I think when you have stars like CJ and Damian Lillard who come from Weaver state and, and uh, the fact that they're coming in from the Patriot league uh, where right. it's, it, you're not used to having like a Cameron indoor or a packed house at Michigan or something like that, where it's just, you're not coming from Rupp arena every game. So I almost feel like the, the idea of, Hey, this is going to be so dramatically different than anything you've experienced for guys who weren't kind of blue chip guys coming out of high school or, you know, college that actually probably works to your advantage. Yeah. I, you know, I think a little bit, I, you know, I also think, you know, as guys grow in the league, you know, if you walk into any of the pickup games in LA or Houston or New York, right. You know, the minute guys start counting the score, they're playing. I mean, this is why they're the best players in the world. You know, it's really interesting. You know, 
it's totally it's a different environment but at the end of the day these guys competed from day one even in the scrimmages right when they were on the court they were going 100 percent, and i think that's just in their dna you know these guys like i said if you walked into the ucla men's gym in august and watched the pickup game you know they're playing like it's the playoffs i mean that's the kind of pride they bring to it um we have a very small league you know, you know there's a lot of guys that you know kind of you know cohort together in the summers to use a a, 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 a recent piece of vernacular um, and you know and, and that those competitive things can carry over so I you know I think I think the idea of having the fans in the building guys play for the fans clearly there's an infusion of energy but at the end of the day the minute the scoreboard lights up and there's a number up there these guys are going at it and you know and it's and it's really fun to watch and I think when the when the fans start watching on television other than a lot of the ambient crowd noise, right? The organic reactions and the crowd shots of live fans. I don't think they're going to see a different product on the court. What's the story behind Skinny Mellow, Neil? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think Lala and Cayenne moved, moved back up into Lake Oswego with them, you know, during the, uh, during the quarantine period and started making them eat healthier. But, you know, I look, I mean, Carmelo has a lot of pride. I mean, he's been phenomenal for us as a leader in the locker room and, you know, I think when we, we started looking at the bubble, we knew, you know, you know, Trevor had a family obligation, needed to opt out. Rodney wasn't fully rehabbed from his Achilles. And, you know, with the return of Nurk and Zach, you know, it was going to be incumbent upon Melo to kind of shift back a few years in his career and go back to playing the three for a majority of his minutes. And I think he felt like he needed, you know, just to, you know, be a little leaner, be a little bit more mobile. Um, you know, probably play face on the hoop more than, you know, than backing guys down um, and having to chase guys a little bit more on the perimeter and switch some, some, you know, some handoffs and some things up on the top. So, you know, he, you know, he's a guy that really, he's, he's been committed to his body. When we got him, he was in great shape. I mean, night one, he came out and played, but you know, that's Mel. I mean, right now, you know, he and, he and Braun are the two guys I think left from that draft class that are still standing. And um, he's taken a real leadership you know, role on our team along with Damon CJ. And I think a lot of that is, you know, it's a commitment not just on the court, but what he's doing with his body and in the locker room and, you know, in the meal rooms and everywhere else. So is he, is he like cutting out certain things in his diet? Like what was the, what was the magic trick for someone who's always attentive to their diet nutrition? What, what was it uh, for, for skinny mellow to happen? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, look, I think he's been really, um, really observant about what he's eating. But I can tell you, Tom, you know, the big challenge down here for those of us who don't like to eat well is we don't have a lot of access to things that aren't great for you. You know, I, like, like I've lost weight. I've been trying to lose for five years just because everything is lean proteins, fresh vegetables, right? Very little starches. You can't find a fried food. You know, we, we're not getting chicken wings for dinner, you know, or, or chicken tenders. And you can't find a dessert anywhere you look. I mean, the closest thing you can get is a cup of fresh fruit. So, what? you know, I, I think some of How it is that? Also, you're in you Disney, know, you're Disney World. I feel like everywhere not, is candy and Disney ice cream. We're, at, we're, we're not. That's the irony. We're in the Yacht <laughs> Club and we're here quarantined with six teams and our nutritionist controls our menu. And, you know, that's pretty much it. So unless you want to take a bus over to the Coronado and, you know, hook up with the guys over there and find a different kind of meal. But I also think, you know, look, guys are in you know, they were in September, October mode, you know, when we got here. And so, you know, like I said, I, you know, I just, I think guys understand that playing eight games in, you know, 15, 16 days is going to take a lot of wear and tear. 
Um, they need to protect themselves from soft tissue injuries and fatigue-based injuries. And I think a lot of that is diet and nutrition. So you know, our guys have been really good about adhering to what our nutritionist has put in the meal rooms. It's been amazing the season you guys have had with the injury, dealing with the injuries and in integrating Mello on the fly, uh, Trevor Reza on the fly, and then having to integrate Zach and Nurk on the fly as well in these unprecedented uh, situations. I mean, your medical staff and training staff, coaching staff have been in overdrive, I feel like, just trying to trying to integrate everyone into the same team. This must have been so difficult to wrap your head around is, wait, we might get Zach, we might get Nurk, and we got to deal with uh, Mello coming in after not playing the entire season. Like, this is crazy. It, you know, it, it was. And, you know, it clearly, you know, we looked out yesterday as we were watching this scrimmage, and we looked at a lineup and said, can you imagine we were sitting in July putting our team together that, this is the five guys, right? You know, and, and you know, but our medical team deserves a, a ton of credit. Um, the fact that, you know, Nurk and Zach are able to step into this environment and confidently play and compete right away from day one, you know, and Terry gets a lot of credit for integrating Mel. You know, I mean, look, no matter what you say, you know, anytime you integrate a new player, like you said, Trevor Ariza, from guys like Trevor, uh, who've been in the league forever, you know, to a new team. But, you know, a guy like Mello, who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, who'd been out for an extended period of time, you know, to come in and join a group that had just been in the Western Conference Finals but was missing their starting power forward and center, you know, and to ask him to take on a, the role of basically the third scorer, you know, it was a lot of pressure on Mel, and it was a lot of pressure on Terry and the staff to put Mel in situations where he could be successful, but also, you know, asking Damon CJ on certain possessions to defer to Carmelo and make sure he got his touches and, felt comfortable within a movement-based offense. Let's talk about Yusuf Nurkic because I've been blown away at how good he's been um, having a, a year off away from game action and coming in and looking like he's been playing the entire season with these guys. Um, the, the timing, the feel, I mean, he's running fast breaks with, um, you know, lead, lead passes. He's, he's shooting threes now with confidence stepping into it from deep. Um, he's bullying guys in the post when they try to throw a smaller defender on him. He is just getting to the free throw line. They have no choice but to foul him. Was this what Nurk had been looking like behind the scenes? And so for us, this is the first time we're getting to see him. Or were you even taken aback at how smooth this has been? No, I, you know, I think one of the things I think we're all so impressed with with Nurk is this was the Nurk we had, you know, with I, six weeks left in the season, you know, a year ago. Yep. Um, you know, the game was slowing down for him. He was finding his spots. He was letting the game come to him. You know, he was exploiting defenses with his passing as well as his scoring. Um, he was getting more comfortable, you know, on the defensive end in terms of switching and moving his feet out on the perimeter. Um, his body looked better. So what's really been most impressive, Tom, is without the luxury of playing full court, that, you know, basically just doing drills in the gym, one on oh, he couldn't do any contact one because of rehab and then two because of COVID that, you know, right away he was able to just kind of get up and down the court. I mean, really all he had had, you know, prior to the shutdown was one practice with the Santa Cruz Warriors. Right. And that was kind of as a, a preparation for, I think it was a Tuesday night when we shut down and he was supposed to start the following Sunday against Houston. So him not missing a beat, especially for a guy where timing is so critical to his game. Right. He throws a lot of timing passes. Yep. 
you know, his rhythm in the post, you know, and he found a way to add an element to his game with, with being a threat from the three-point line. It was something he had tinkered with and experimented with a year ago. But I think the ability to just get so many shots up during his rehab really built some confidence in him. You know, we charted all of his shots. And to him to know that he can be successful and take those in game situations brings a whole new element to our roster. And, you know, it creates a huge threat for Dane, right? Because it's no longer just Nurk as a short roll dive guy, right? Get down to the block. You know, this is a guy you've got you've to respect being able to pop behind the three-point line as well, which makes it tougher for guys to aim at Damon CJ with their blitzes. How do you know if a guy has the deep shooting ability? Like, how do you know, as someone who's worked as, as, a, as someone who trains professionals and in and, and workouts, like, is there something about his game where you said, this is a guy who can space the floor for us, even if his, his free throw shooting numbers coming into the, to the league, but actually he's been vastly improved the last season before he got hurt. And then his three-point numbers don't look good career-wise, but now that he's had some time to work on his jumper – what is it about his game that makes you feel like, are you confident in him throwing up five threes a game? Yeah. I mean, look, ideally, you know, you still want him at the elbow because he's such an elite passer, right? You want him to be able to offensive rebound, but you know, really it's his mechanics, right? When you really looked at his mechanics and his release, Tom, when you would watch Nurk in the gym, if you were watching him without any lines on the court, his release looked no different from the three point line than it did from the top of the key or the free throw line. Kind of like and I think that's what makes yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It makes it translatable, right? It's like a guy with a really nice golf swing. You don't know if he's hitting a seven iron or a three iron, right? And and I think that was the thing with Nurk was, but the big thing is it's confidence to him. You know, I think the fact that he's made some here in the scrimmages is really important. That it's not just something he can do in an empty gym, but it's something that he can do in a game setting and guys believe in it. And it's and it's not an anomaly when it goes in. And, you know, and as we've seen the guys down here, look, it's, it's critical. You've got guys out here, you know, we, you know, the guys we scrimmaged, right? I mean, Serge Ibaka and, um, you know, the guys from Indiana and Marcus Soul. And, you know, last night we had guys banging down shots, you know, Kevin, you know, Kevin and, the, and these guys, so Kevin Hervey. And, like, it's just so hard to be a big in this league if you're one-dimensional anymore. You've got to be a threat to pull guys away from the hoop. And for us it's critical because it's going to – it's going to cause switches to get bigs onto our guards who can take them off the bounce. Or it's guys that, you know, they can just lift. And then we've got our bigs, um, you know, we've got our bigs that can dive and roll smalls to the rim um, when they do switch. So, like I said, it's, it's an element I'm proud of Nurk. You know, I think one of the things that gets lost sometimes, Tom, with Nurk is because of the conditions under which we acquired him, right? It was in a trade. You know, Denver went with, with Jokic, who's, you know, a Hall of Fame caliber player. I think people underestimate just how good Nurk is. And, you know, he's, he's been our third best player from the day he got here. You know, he's arguably our second, or, uh, second best player on nights. He's a, it, worst case, he's our third best player. He's a great partner with Damon CJ. He's a perfect fit for Terry because he plays the way Terry likes to use bigs. And like I said, I don't think he gets enough credit. I think people look at it sometimes like, you know, it's a surprise when he does well and, that's not really it. He's a foundational player for us. And as you can tell, we're a completely different team when he's on the floor. Oh, yeah. Um, his, his per 36 averages in the scrimmages, 20 points, 15 rebounds, five assists, and he's, he's shooting from deep. Last year, before he got hurt, he was just about those same numbers. I mean, 20 points, 14 rebounds, four assists. 
And his, I mean, when you watch the dimes that he drops and, and the passing and the timing, he is, uh, he is super skilled. Like I, I know you can't speak to this because you're working for the Blazers, you're running them, but I'm thinking Jokic and, and Nurk were on the same team. I mean, the, yeah. the passing, the one-two high-low passing that they could have done together uh, is outrageous. And I guess you didn't get to see that too much in Denver. There were flashes of his uh, innate passing ability. But I think that element is going to really unlock in ways that I thought maybe, hey, Portland needs to make a trade here because they need a big who can pass and really, really uh, have a dynamic offense in the post. I kind of forgot that's Nurk. That is Nurk's game. Yeah, well, I mean, look, it's a credit to Tim Conley, right? I mean, you know, you know, Tim, you know, Tim made a trade on draft night um, and picked up two firsts for I think it was a ninth pick with Chicago and drafted Yusuf Nurkic, really believed in him. Um, and then, you know, look, they pulled off one of the great second round picks of all time, you know, by drafting Jokic. And, you know, as you know, look, I think everyone forgets, you know, they did right by Nurk. Um, you know, God rest his soul, Dan Fagan felt like, you know, Nurk was a starter and was looking to find a place where he could be a starter if things worked out and he lived up to his potential. And, you know, we had a need at that spot and we're able to construct a deal that, you know, benefited both of us at the time. And, you know, look, I mean, it, it certainly, it's gone on to great success for Denver and we would not be where we are right now. And even though we made a run to the Western Conference Finals last year, we would not have been in position to get the three seed if it hadn't been for, you know, the 65 or 70 games we had with Nurk. So, like I said, I mean, it changes everything. It changes our locker room. It changes our sensibility. You know, one thing when you have guys like Dame and CJ and, you know, and now Mello is they've got to trust the guys they're on the floor with, and they trust Nurk implicitly. You know, they're willing to play through him. They know he takes pressure off of them. And he's another guy, Tom, that can just have a huge night. Right. You know, we, we, we just can't live and die where Dame and CJ have to pitch a perfect game every time they go out there. They've got to be able to have an off night here and there, knowing we always have two of those three guys on the floor. And as long as we have two of those three guys out there, we've got one of the most, you know, the best pick and roll combos in the NBA. And like you said, one of the best passing bigs at a time when having a third facilitator is critical. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. I'm Mike Tirico, and this week on Sports Uncovered, the side of Bill Belichick you didn't know existed. He's actually very, very funny, and that would shock the people in New England. I remember one time that he was critiquing Asante Samuel's play about how we needed to play more physical. The runner was running out on the video, and he showed on the big screen, that's it, Asante. Hit him with a pillow. Okay, let's throw marshmallows at him the next time. Don't miss an episode. Tap the subscribe button right now to get automatic downloads of Sports Uncovered for free. Now, back to the conversation. So, no matter how good Nurk has been, you guys are playing from behind here. You got three and a half games back of the Memphis Grizzlies at the eighth slot. But luckily, you guys have to play Memphis right from the get-go. Damien's been out for a couple scrimmages here with, with the foot issue. But can you just give me kind of a rundown on how those discussions went with the league initially did you think it was going to be just the playoff teams did you think you guys were going to have a shot in in this bubble and when they ultimately landed on the 22 teams 
what did that mean for you guys? And when they came out with the schedule, how did you feel about that? Well, so, uh, you know, I'm a member of the competition committee. So, you know, we had been discussing things theoretically, you know, months ago. Look, the league did a really good job. They came up with three models, right? The 20-team model, the 22-team model, and the 30-team model. They brought, you know, from a competitive standpoint and an economic standpoint, um, you know, they brought all of those to the Board of Governors. Um, the one that was recommended was the 22-team model. I think it gave teams math that were mathematically not eliminated a chance, you know, even in an abbreviated way by cutting it in half, right, the number of games, that, you know, if you were peaking at the right time, you would still have a chance to get into the playoffs. You know, for us, look, it just – it worked out for us, unfortunately, from a strength of schedule standpoint, that our schedule was basically divided – between teams that were elite, elite playoff teams, all eight of whom ended up on our schedule down here, yep. or teams that were pretty much already mathematically eliminated to the point that they're not actually participating down here. So we didn't get that kind of balance, right? You know, we basically got all the playoff teams and none of the high lottery teams. Right. The only one so, you got was Brooklyn, right? And they weren't even, I mean, they're, they're in, they're the seventh seed out East, but that's the last game on your schedule. And, you know, and look, I think when the schedule came out, we didn't know what was going on with Kai and Kevin, right? So, you know, so that's a different scenario too. But, but I, look, I think, you know, we've got to accept some responsibility, Tom, that we put ourselves in this position. As much as, you know, we missed Rodney and Zach and Nurk all year, clearly, and we were a team that was constantly making a patchwork of our starting lineup um, until we got Trevor at the trade deadline. You know, we lost some games we shouldn't have lost also. You know, I, I think our record is reflective of, the injuries, but it's also reflective of the fact that we gave games away that if we looked back and realized we'd get those three or four games against teams that aren't actually in the bubble right now, you know, the high lottery teams, you know, it would be a game or a game and a half with Memphis, right? We wouldn't have as much ground to make up. So, you know, look, we've accepted the responsibility that, you know, everybody comes into this with a different lens on how they're viewing each segment of games. And I think we've looked at it like, you know, the playoffs start game one. Right. This was our Wednesday night game the night before the night after, you know, we shut down. We had Memphis in Portland and now we've got Memphis in Portland. And, you know, we're either going to cut the lead to two and a half or we're going to fall back four and a half. And that's going to change, you know, what we're going to have to do over those last seven. So, you know, I, I think one of the things we've we've been interesting about is we've played better at times against the better teams in this league. You know, we have guys that have a chip on their shoulder, whether it's Dane, CJ or Nerf that kind of gear up for the better teams, you know, the bigger games, the national stage. And we're going to be on it right away, and it's a baptism by fire. And if we want to be one of the 16 teams playing on August 17th, we're going to have to get it done against the other playoff teams. So how's Dame's foot? Yeah, I think he's going to be okay. You know, look, I mean, he, he had some inflammation in it. I think, there, I think there's a lot of guys dealing with things mm -hmm. from a soft tissue standpoint by ramping up their activity level. And again, you know, our practice has had to be a little more intense, Tom, because, you know, we can't rely on easing into the seeding games, right? It's, it's not just a seed at stake for us. It's winner go home. You know, so our intensity level is a little bit higher. And, but again, look, our, you know, our H&P guys do a great job. I'm hoping Dame will be ready to go Friday, you know. And it, look, it is what it is. I, I don't think we're the only ones that are going to be dealing with this. You know, the NBA is, is dealing with an unprecedented situation here, and you're on the competition committee. 
Um, I was I was wondering when you were deciding how many teams were you know proposing the number of teams. Did it ever come up? Hey, let's just go straight to the playoffs. Or what were some of the things that didn't happen that were very close to happening? Because I I was thinking, hey, if they're going to do the postseason, they better shorten the games or sh- shorten the series to to three games to five games just to lower the risk of infection spreading or just having a shorter time clock. But how how close were those negotiations in, in terms of happening where some of the more outside the box thinking with the playoff structure? Well, look, I, I think theoretically and in hypotheticals, we talked about, a, you know, a lot of different scenarios, right? Everybody had different ideas, but we were always going to follow, right? We were kind of at the whim of the virus. And I think the more we got, you know, David Weiss has kind of led the league through this um, as far as the medical protocols. And he's done a phenomenal job in terms of educating all of us. And I think if the league felt like it wouldn't have been safe to bring 22, they would have brought 16. I mean, you know, I don't think the economics or the competition, you know, or giving teams a chance ever factored in more than how we were going to keep the players and staff and officials and league office members safe when they got down here. So I think when they constructed the campus environment, when they realized they could have three home bases, that, that bringing the additional teams wouldn't put anybody at further risk, I think they felt like it was just fair that, you know, we all know teams can make moves late in the year. We're one of them, right? I mean, we've always been a, a closing kind of team. And I think they felt an obligation to give as many teams that had a viable chance at making the playoffs a fair and equitable chance to do that. So, you know, the hypotheticals were all game theory in terms of, you know, playoff structure, play-in, seedings, you know, NCAA tournament-style approach, right? You know, um, World Cup-style formatting. And some of those got, you know, had really good uh, momentum at different times. But at the end of the day, I think when the league felt like they could pull off both situations, right? One, let's give the teams that had a chance to make the playoffs a chance to make the playoffs. But let's, for the traditionalists, let's keep the 16-team best of seven playoff format that that everybody's comfortable with because there's so much other change going on, Tom, right? No fans. We've got virtual fans in in the arenas. We're all playing in this kind of AAU environment. We are adding the seeding games. I think they got to the point where there was enough change for our fan base, our sponsors, season ticket holders, the league in general, the historians and traditionalists that, you know, we're kind of splitting the baby here. We're going to spend, you know, a couple of weeks giving people a chance to play in. And then we're going to go right to our regular playoff format anyway. So we basically get to double dip. All right. I got an idea. You're the, you're Portland. So you have an extra incentive to weigh in on this and you're on the competition committee. One through 16 seeding in the bubble, why didn't it happen? Because I love this idea. You know, I think it came down, again, to the traditionalists wanting, you know, the conference, um, the conference format. I mean, look, I, I, I think, you know, not to be disrespectful to the East, because they've certainly done their damage to us, um, you know, this year. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, look, I mean, it's always the same argument. You know, if you, if you had a vote and said we want to go one through 16, you'd have 15 teams say yes and 15 teams say no. You know, and I and I and you're right. I think in the bubble, when you took out geography and travel and everything else, but I think crowning a, a conference champion is still important. I think that still has value. And I think you know, teams played the majority of their of their conference schedules throughout the year um, against those conferences. And I I felt like 
again, I think the league felt like enough change was going on without this being the time to add more confusion, you know, to the process. And how do you educate the fans that clearly have a lot more in their mind right now when you look at, you know, social justice and civic unrest and the pandemic without having to try to figure out, you know, hey, geez, why is Orlando playing, you know, the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also open to the idea. I pitched this idea, and, and you're, you're the Shark Tank guy. You're, you're Mark Cuban in this scenario, whether you buy it or not. To regain some of the home court advantage that the teams like Milwaukee and L.A., you know, the Clippers and the Lakers lost, why don't you let them pick their opponent in their, in their first couple rounds? Yeah, well, I mean, the D-League format, right? Yes, you know, which the D-League. Based yep, on the yep. economics, uh, you know, of travel. And, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I get it. Are you buying know. or selling the idea? <laughs> well, I tell you what, I, 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 would, I would buy the idea if we weren't all staying in the same hotels and walking through the same tunnel at halftime and postgame. You know, I, I don't know how great an idea it is to throw more salt on a wound and, like, <laughs> you know, and crank up the animus even further. I mean, playoffs are competitive enough without, you know, really adding any fuel to the fire where guys are hopping on the same elevator after a game, having been chosen to play somebody in the first round. So the extra um, chip on the shoulder, you don't think is necessary because it would be a lot more fun. I don't know. I I don't know about that. But look, I mean, I think I think it is, you know, there were a lot of unique things that could have been done. But I think when you look at the way the the 16 teams may end up being, we're going to have a great playoff. We really are. I mean, the playoffs are going to be phenomenal. The competition is going to be great. We've got great matchups. You know, we've got a lot of marquee teams as the higher seeds right now, which is exciting. Um, Lakers back in for the first time in over half a decade. Um, LeBron back in after a year's absence. So, you know, I think there's enough excitement being generated without having to kind of gimmick it up. Um, It would be fun. And for a lot of us basketball heads, it'd be fun. But, you know, look, we've got a lot of fans, too, that aren't as engrossed and embedded in the day-to-day minutiae. That, you know, look, they want to see, hey, first round Western Conference Finals, Lakers one seed against eight. Who is that, right? Yeah, it, I mean, right now you're looking at uh, some really great matchups, especially if you have the whole Zion Williamson making into the playoffs. I mean, I hope for, hope for you guys that you guys make it in, but the storylines are going to be there regardless. Um, I just like the idea of one through 16. Uh, you, you kind of throw in a little bit of the soap opera aspect of uh, some, some, some chess match gamesmanship going there where you pick your opponent based on also just the injuries and the uncertainty of this bubble is that a lot of team makeups are going to change. And so what would normally look like an even four five matchup, that four seed might actually want to take the, the, uh, a different team. Um, or, you know, just looking at the injuries that we're seeing already, uh, it might just look like a totally different landscape. And so kind of giving that autonomy or some of that discretion to the teams that earned home court advantage um, I think would have been a cool, juicy element to this whole thing. But you know what? Maybe in the future, maybe five years from now, I don't think a lot of people are expecting to see uh, Elam ending in an all-star game so soon, but that was just a huge hit. And so I think not to, not to go too gimmicky on the NBA season, I think we're at a really good place with the league right now. And I just, I just love that idea. Last thing before I let you go here, Neil, um, where were you on Myers Leonard's chugging skills? Had you seen that before? Is this, is this new to you or is this something that you guys had known for years that he had a secret skill about? Uh, you know, I didn't, but 
I, I want to know how Myers can chug and still have 3% body fat at 270 pounds. Yeah, what, what's up with and that? I, and I chug and I can't button my waistband. So, like, you know, I had two Coors Lights and some wings the other day and was afraid to get on the scale. You know, you know, Myers is running around like a Calvin Klein model and he's chugging Coors Lights. So, you know, I, I, I was not aware of that. Honestly, I didn't know Myers drank because anybody with his physicality and commitment to, like, his body – I was shocked to hear that he actually ever had a beer, let alone knew how to shotgun. It's really just so unfair that he can look as chiseled as he is. Unbelievable. He's a genetic freak. He's a genetic freak. It's unbelievable. And, you know, and, and he works his butt off in the weight room, on his game. And I have to tell you, nobody is happier than us. The success that he's had and the team success, if you look at their record, you know, with Myers as a starter in Miami, um, you know, we've all been rooting for him. Um, you know, it, it's been great. I mean, he became a little bit beleaguered up in Portland for all the wrong reasons. He was a great teammate. You know, he, he worked his tail off. He contributed when he got opportunities. You know, the problem is you're in the same draft class with Damian Lillard and the bar and the benchmark kind of gets raised beyond reasonable expectations. But that really game four last year, out. Neil, the game four against oh, the Warriors was unbelievable. It was so cool to be there to watch that. It was it was fun for all of us, too. And you know, and, and he'd had moments like that. I mean, we, he had them in the Memphis series years ago. Um, LaMarcus got hurt. He started in the Memphis series, had a bunch of big games that year as well. And, you know, when he got the opportunity, you know, look, the, the league has caught up to Myers. I mean, that's what's fun, right? He's the, the big that can run the floor. He can make threes. He's a good passer. And like I said, and nobody could be better suited than to, to be living in Miami in a, in a town where you never have to put a shirt on. So he's thrilled. I'm happy it's working out for him. But I hope he's spending a lot more time working on his jump hooks than shotgun and beers against J.J. Reddick. Oh, yeah. And you, you know J.J. pretty well from, from L.A. And like that, I mean, you, you're pretty close to both of those guys. That was, that was a, a Neil special there, the, the battle of, of, of chugging. Yeah. I, you know, Myers, I'm jealous of his body fat. And J.J., I'm jealous of his short game. I haven't been on the golf course. So. So I got, I, got, I got jealousy and envy for both. The only thing we have in common anymore is I still drink Coors Lights, too. <laughs> have you been getting out on the links at all? Yeah, a little bit. It, yeah, it's, it's not been good, but it's been fun. So it's been a, a safe way to kind of get outside our bubble a little bit, still socially distanced. I only play with, you know, my guys pretty much. Um, actually, we, we played with uh, KP and Chad Buchanan the other day, and, you know, two single handicaps lying that they're double-digit handicaps. Oh, that was course. the end of that. that that won't happen again. Um, we'll go back to driving under our golf carts and, you know, shooting double bogey golf and pretending that we had birdie putts. Who is the best golfer in, in the NBA, both executives and players? Who is the best golfer? Uh, I would say I got to think Jason Kidd's got to be right there. Um, Jason's, Jason Kidd's big-time golfer. I think player-wise, you got J.R. Smith, um, Steph, uh, Doug McDermott. Um, Iguodala is pretty good. Yep. Um, Ken Bazemore is a really good player. He might have the prettiest swing, you know, of all the players in the league. He's got a beautiful swing. And then, you know, execs, you know, you always kind of point to, you know, Ainge is big time. Um, Danny's not down here, but, you know, he'd be out there shooting under par on these courses. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, I was asking J.R. Smith the other day. J.R. and I are obviously close. We go back, you know, 15 years. I worked him out for the draft. And he's a single, he's a, a three or a four. And I asked him if he'd caught up to Jason yet. And he said, no, nah, Jason manages the course better than him. And Jason's probably a one. So 
So we avoid we avoid the Lakers on the court and on the course at all costs. Yeah, yeah. I would actually like that as like a side show to the bubble is just having a tournament, just a weekend tournament of the best golfers in the bubble. The best and the worst, because we need a blooper reel too. So you can save my game and my staff for, for the blooper reel. We got to get Charles in there. We got to get Charles and Shaq <laughs> yeah, in there. That, yeah, that's you know what? I, I never give Charles grief because sometimes I'm jealous of his game. That's how bad mine gets. Oh, man. I mean, I hope you have a prettier swing at least, Neil. It looks better. It doesn't go anywhere, but it looks better. <laughs> well, best of luck right, on your man, next well, hey, round. Listen, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, best of luck on your next round on the uh, on the course and on the court. This is it's incredible that we're here. Uh, best of luck and uh, thanks for stopping by. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show. I want to give a big shout out to Neil Shea for joining me. Uh, who knew that Jason Kidd was that good at golf? I did not. And who knew that Adam Schefter was an NBA guru? I didn't know that a few years ago until he was asking me about this rookie, Nikola Jokic, which we talked about on the pod with Neil. Um, I did a pod last week with Adam Schefter from ESPN, the NFL reporter. Yes, that same Adam Schefter is a huge NBA fan. Go listen to that pod. Last week, we go through all the NBA awards, find out who his MVP is this year. Does he pick LeBron? So we're going to have games here. Enjoy the games. Be safe out there. Enjoy the summer uh, and the NBA restart resumption bubble Orlando. It is here. Until next time on The Haber Show.